You are listening to a Natural Products Insider Podcast. With Judy Bazzazzaro, Editor, Food Insider Journal. Brought to you by Supply Side West, November 6th through 10th in Las Vegas. Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast. I am Judy Bazazro. I'm the editor of Food Insider Journal and the food and beverage editor on Natural Products Insider here in Informa's Global Health and Nutrition Office in Phoenix. On the phone today, we have our esteemed editors, Todd Brunstad in our Boulder office and Ginger Schluter in our Dallas office. Thank you both for joining me today. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Uh, well, we all just returned from the IFT show in Chicago. We're Uh, We experienced all things food and beverage and saw the latest ingredient offerings and applications from suppliers, and there certainly was a lot of trend spotting, so we're just going to jump in and discuss our big picture trends that are really driving innovation and product development. Let's kick it off with uh, Clean Label. Uh, The trend toward cleaner products is is largely being driven by consumer perception. It's kind of a moving target in this arena since the standard is constantly evolving and the definition varies based on consumer groups. But the one thing we know is that that consumers want products that are made with organic and non-GMO ingredients. They want natural ingredients, simple, uh, simplified ingredient decks, less processed foods, and that's really just... um, uh, opened up the door for a lot of innovation uh, across all product categories. So, Todd, uh, what, were you, what was your take on the uh, the clean label free from trend? Yeah, well, clean label has definitely grabbed the attention of the mainstream food world, which is kind of what I picture as happening uh, at the IFT show. You really couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a booth that was pronouncing clean label solutions, and uh, they were really everywhere. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, You know, and what excites me about clean label is it carries the flag for the good food future. And we typically see clean label as ingredients replacing what I call dirty label ingredients. That's the stuff from chemistry class, and it's not what's for dinner. So you have all these label reading consumers out there, and they don't like words like titanium dioxide and magnesium stearate and even salt, sugar, fat. Those all count as dirty label things. It has provided an opportunity for innovation from ingredient suppliers that can offer solutions to take out all those chemistry sounding words, any word that has an X in it. You don't want that for dinner. And uh, and so they're they're really getting on board. I just want to point out as a little parenthetical aside, there's also kind of a clean label 2.0 that's going on. And you don't really see that at IFT yet, but you would see it more at a show at like Supply Side West. And a couple of things that would define that is beyond cleaning up dirty ingredients, but adding positive ingredients like protein or omegas or maca, uh, 
that's really the disruption that's happening in the food industry is instead of food companies starting with cheap subsidized carbohydrates and building something crunchy or salty or has a nice mouthfeel experience, you have a lot of these entrepreneurial food companies that are taking billions of dollars of market share from the big guys by starting with nutrient-dense whole foods and building packaged foods around that. So I think that's interesting is the positive aspect. And then there's also uh, the uh, – the other aspect of Clean Label 2.0 is sustainability, and that's things like organic, non-GMO, ethical production and business practices, reducing waste, packaging, and uh, and so that's another really interesting. But but those 2.0 things you didn't really see at, at IFT. It, it was really just companies that were looking to try to make food so that when the consumers look at their ingredient decks, it looks like something that grandma used to make, not food scientists. And so I think that's interesting. Uh, Ginger, did you see any interesting uh, clean label ingredients while you were walking around the show? As I walked the show floor, you know, even though the industry doesn't have a standard definition of clean label, companies seem, seem to be saying the same things because it's driven by what consumers want and don't want to see on their labels. For example, um, I visited with Venio. They have a clean label uh, rice starch called Pure, and they realize that consumers are taking a closer look at the ingredient labels, and they don't want to see certain words on that. They're looking for things like non-GMO, natural, no sugar added, wild, not farmed, and grain-fed. Their rice is actually naturally free from gluten and lactose, which is another trend that I saw is ingredient companies are actually choosing ingredients that are automatically free from certain allergens or certain things that consumers don't want. Curious, a pea starch company uses common ingredients to replace stuff that's hard to say on the label. And they're, they're even taking it to the next level of clean label. And they were talking about, you know, answering questions like, where did the product come from? What is its journey from field to consumer and the farmer who grew it? You know, what's their life like and things like that. Absolutely. I really think the uh, supply chain issue is huge uh, when we're talking about clean label and free from. And I also think um, you hit nail on the head. I also think that uh, you mentioned non-GMO being a trend as well as vegan and plant-based. Todd, did you see anything uh, really cool on the show floor in terms of free from or plant proteins? Uh, sure. Well, in, in the free from, just to continue on the clean label aspect, Probably the the biggest booth with the biggest clean label solution pronouncement was Kerry, which is a really big food company, and they they have they had a couple interesting ingredients. They had this thing Excel, which is a cultured celery product, and it replaces traditional sodium nitrate or nitrite salts in cured meats like sausages and nitrites, nitrates, no bueno. And uh, they also have this taste sense, which can cut sugar reduction up to 30% while still having that taste, texture, and mouthfeel, all the other functionality besides just flat sweetness of sugar. So that that's like the low-hanging fruit for a lot of the, the, the food world is, okay, well, let, let's, let's reduce our sugar. You also had Nubana, which is this it's kind of the opposite of Kerry. It's more of a startup company, and they have this 100% whole fruit green banana flour that can replace flour or sugar as a bulking agent and can also replace hydrocolloids and things like soup because if it's it's a high viscosity 
properties. And so that's the interesting thing about that is when you get bananas from the store, I, I just bought a bunch last night. And turns out they only take about 80% of the bananas that they harvest. And 20% of them, they're either the wrong shape or the wrong size. They just don't appeal to the American consumer, so they get rid of them. Well, so Nubana, they take 100%. They love that 20% that isn't used for that. And they get them when they're green. And that has these interesting properties that can replace flour or sugar. And it also labels as gluten-free. And uh, so... So it has that. It's a good news story for the farmers in the banana republics, and and it and it really works for the mainstream food companies. So that's like a startup company. There was also bakery solutions. Baked goods are always sort of a dirty label thing. You know, they're an indulgence. And there was there was uh, the alliterative Watson and Wacker, two different companies that have, both have clean label bakery solutions. And you can uh, use this Cavamax from Wacker that can replace egg, which is really interesting. And and Watson, you can replace these uh, sodium sterile lactate and datum and, and mono and diglycerides. Again, those are words that consumers see on their cookies and they're like, oh, grandma didn't use diglycerides or, you know. And so that was interesting. And, and, and then there was also companies that have stuff that are natural preservatives or or, uh, or antimicrobials like Kemen and Food Guard. So they have uh, botanical-based extracts that can replace um, sodium benzoate. That's the bad word. And, and sorbate, that's another dirty label. Um, and so, again, both those companies have these botanical-based ingredients that can do that. And then just finally, uh, I want to point out Ribus. <clears throat> I, I love this company. They work for dietary supplements uh, primarily, and it's a rice-based ingredient. And so if you ever drop your iPhone in the, in the pond or, or the toilet, what do you do with it? You put it in a bag of rice, right? And that's because rice has this ability to really dry stuff out. So it turns out that rice is really good on the assembly line when you're making dietary supplements because you want the powders to flow through the machinery and you want it to flow into the little capsules. And so you used to have stuff like magnesium stearate, silicone dioxide. Those sound horrible. I don't want those in my dietary supplement. And so Ribus, they have, it's a rice-based ingredient. You can even get it as organic non-GO and kosher. And so that's a nice flow agent and an anti-caking agent. And, uh, and so that helps make clean dietary supplements. And also because it's rice, there's a nutritional component to it. So that actually, so what is basically an excipient, is featured in the supplement facts panel as having certain nutrients. I, I forget what they are either. I think there's some minerals or maybe some B vitamins into it. So that's that's a double bonus. Not only are you removing bad stuff and having you know a neutral excipient, but it actually is a positive nutritional aspect. So Ribus, love those guys. So that was about it for me from Clean Label. You know, I, I could talk a lot more. There was a lot of those companies uh, that were in the Clean Label space. Uh, so I thought I think that's really interesting that it's really grabbed the attention and the imagination of the mainstream food world. They're really responding to the consumer 2.0, if you will. You know, the real label reading person who is uh, really freaking out the, the the mainstream food world. Absolutely, and I think that you touched on something, especially for the bakery industry. You know, with the all the ingredients that go into that. I think gluten-free is really driving that. Uh, we saw more companies introducing like almond protein powder. Blue Diamond uh, debuted their, their ingredient for that. 
and, you know, all different forms of plant-based materials. And uh, that kind of brings us into the plant proteins where, you know, really we've heard a lot of buzz about plant-based foods and plant-based dairy alternatives. You know, they're really increasingly uh, positioned as more sustainable. We've seen plant-based claims increase by 62% globally between 2013 and 2017. That was from Inova Market Insights. And, uh, you know, these alternatives are, are really positioning themselves well against conventional products. One example that I saw was, it was super cool. It was over at ADM. Uh, it was its Say Cheese Tea, and it was inspired by a, this sweet and salty drink that's trending in Asia, and it's making its way to the U.S. It's a dairy-free and indulgent tea drink, and it, the top of it had like a cheesecake-like foam topping. Uh, it was kind of like a double sensory experience. When you drank it, you kind of drank it at a 45-degree angle, so you've got this thick like super thick whipped cream-like, and then this awesome tea. And again, it was their, you know, dairy-free ingredient. We also saw a lot of movement with chickpeas. We've seen that, I think, over the last few years. I know PLT Health Solutions, uh, they introduced a new chickpea protein, uh, and it has functional characteristics to rival whey. DuPont had some really cool things in the plant-based protein space, in the meat analogs, delivering like taste and texture that it appeals to this new meat alternative consumer. And that's that's an area that we've really seen uh, jump in interest over the last year, I think, especially looking at the finished products that we saw at Expo West. Anyway, DuPont's portfolio of soy protein ingredients, they're now used in different formats and they can mimic chicken, beef and pork and even seafood in like shreds for barbecue, deli meats, uh, ground beef or ground meat-like ingredients, and even a whole muscle format that could be used in like a, a frozen uh, food application. Again, going back to, you know, going back to the roots, so to speak, uh, you know, specialty grains, ancient grains, pulses, we saw those all over. Ardent Mills had a new line of pulses uh, highlighting their chickpeas and ancient grains and barley. Uh, they also had it in like a, a individual quick frozen format. And um, that was new for this year. And basically, it's uh, they provide the flavor, texture, and nutrition of fully cooked grains in a ready-to-eat uh, frozen form. And um, they also have crisps that can transform whole grains into a ready-to-eat product. And they have really a good crunch, great flavor and texture. I saw a lot in that in that meat alternative, which I call fake mousse. And <laughs> and it, that's that's really. You're not going to get that in a steak, at least not yet. There's some interesting news coming there. But really, for any sort of finished product that is a multi-ingredient formulation or a stir-fry, that's really where you can get these these uh, these fake moves, uh, uh, uh ingredients that are in there so you don't have to get it from cows. And there's a lot of shift in that movement. I saw, I think it was at Innova as well. They always do a pretty decent job there of having market intel. And they had in the U.S. market, 44% of consumers have increased their consumption of meat substitutes over the last year between 2016 and 17, which sounds great. You know, those meatless Mondays have gone mainstream, it would seem. But worldwide, in the UK, it's 54%. In Mexico, it's 65%. In China, it's almost 75%. And uh, so I, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, and, and so some of that is 
you know, corn was the original. Uh, they say it's a mycoprotein, which suggests mushrooms, but it's really a fungus, but they don't want to say it's a fungus. But you're really starting to see, and this is the fascinating thing to me, is clean meat. Now, it used to be called lab meat, but clean meat sounds better, just like clean coal sounds better, even though the coal isn't really clean. But in clean meat, it, it's it's made in labs. And Mosa Meat was this European company. They were, I, it seems like they were the pioneer a few years ago. Today, you see Mosa Meat Mission Barns. There was uh, the CEO uh, gave a, an interesting session. Finless Foods, Wild Earth, Blue Nalu, Appleton Meats. Uh, and there are strategic investors, including the big boys like General Mills, Tyson Ventures, Cargill, that are throwing money at a lot, a lot of these different companies. And so I think that's really interesting. And then, and then you still have the Boca Burgers; they're still out there. And there's Gardein, Beyond Meat, the Impossible Burger is probably the poster child for the fake Moose Burgers. Um, it's got the protein and the iron, but it doesn't have the antibiotics or the hormones or the climate impacts of our bovine friends. So there's just a real lot going on with the sort of cow alternatives, and whether it's it's the fake meat, if you will, or just these plant proteins. And, you know, I think, like you said, the, the poster child for the plant proteins is in the category of, of milk. And, you know, where there was soy milk and rice milk and now there's hemp milk and almond milk and coconut milk and all these things. It's still only about 10 percent. So the, the cows still have it, but there's a lot of growth in the other parts of, of that, uh, you know, dairy alternative product. And so I, I think that's a really interesting thing to follow as we kind of cover what's going on in the mainstream food world. Yeah, I do, too. Um, and I'll swing over to you, Ginger, in a, in a little bit. But um in terms of the dairy, you know, the fluid milk consumption has been going down for decades. And I think that we're going to be seeing more, as you mentioned, more nut-based uh, milks coming out, um, even though you're not supposed to call them milk. But uh, And also uh, pea milk, that's an interesting ingredient. It also helps with the, the growth of the pea protein movement. Uh, I saw uh, a number of companies, Axiom Food, they had uh, their pea protein and some really yummy brownies. And That booth was buzzing. Every time yeah. I stopped over there, there was a million people over at Axiom. They're, yeah. they're a real leader in that plant protein world. They really are. And um, Kosukra, they are targeting the U.S. Uh, with their pea protein. They've been in business for eons, and they've really made an investment with their pea protein plant in Belgium and uh, bringing that technology uh, over to the U.S. Okay. Yeah, Purus, they, they, they had a pea protein, pea protein, and they were they had a couple of prototypes with yogurt. And, and I thought, really? Peas in yogurt? And I was actually really surprised. The, the, the pea yogurt and then the pea, they had a cheesecake. Mm -hmm. And the cheesecake in particular, you would never know that it was pea protein. Because peas, you know, I remember my childhood. And I didn't have a very good childhood with peas or Brussels sprouts. Sorry, mom, you didn't quite nail it. But, but to have peas in a dairy product, they actually are pulling it off. And so I think that's a really interesting innovation. Ginger, you were over at the Purist booth. What what did you find interesting over there? Yeah, so just echoing what Todd said, you know, the taste and the texture and the mouthfeel of that yogurt and, and the cheesecake as well, it, it tasted just like and felt just like you were eating a dairy product. 
But like you said, you know, it was with pea protein. I believe the yogurt actually had 10 grams of protein, so that's really good for labels. Also, I just I think we might be amiss if we don't mention wheat proteins as well when we talk about plant-based proteins. I stopped over at the MGP ingredients booth, and they have a product called Treetex, and it's a plant-based textured wheat protein, and it functions as a meat substitute. They have a specific extrusion technology that they use, and they texturize wheat gluten. And so when you soak it in water, it looks like muscle fibers, which is really unique. But one of the trends that they were talking about when it's about plant proteins is that they're seeing a lot of the plant-based proteins mixing with wheat. So you still have that plant-based protein, but you have more of the texture of real meat by adding that wheat into it. That's really interesting. Obviously, it doesn't label as gluten-free, but you right. still have the meat-free. So that, that still serves right. a certain exactly. audience, you know, for sure. Right. And I think that we're going to see more movement when you talk about plant-based dairy. You know, it's 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 going outside of the, the beverage box. Um, we're seeing, like, plant-based cottage cheeses, uh, more vegan cheeses, spreads, dips, all that. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what's coming down the, the pike in a few years. So moving along, let's talk about sweeteners. That is a topic of uh, hot discussion for a long, long time. Uh, obviously, you know, sugar leads to obesity and uh, diabetes. And uh, as Americans, we, we have way too much intake of that. So the industry has been working very, very hard on alternative sweeteners. And this year, I kind of noticed almost like a Stevia 2.0. Really, there was a lot of uh, Rev-M continue to dominate the sweetener reduction space. Um, companies like Tate and & Lyle, Ingredion, DSM, and Cargill thought their Rev-M products at their, at their booths. And really, you know, it's the next generation of Stevia ingredients. But w- what I found interesting is uh, Rev-M can be quite expensive. And so these companies are really looking at how to save companies money, save brands money, offer these ingredients at better price points. And sometimes that m- means a mixture of Rev-M along with some Stevia. Uh, or Reb A, and it's really kind of cool. What did you guys see? Well, I definitely see blends, and mm-hmm. there's blends of monk fruit and even prebiotic fibers like inulin slash chicory root, which have a slight sweetness to them, as well as also being both prebiotic and a fiber. So th- th- those prebiotics are really light because you can, you know, you're not going to eliminate the the sugar content, but you could say. You know, you could, it's because it's still there's a sweetness into it. You can cut it maybe 20% or 30%, and so you know that gets somewhere. And you know, Judy, I I think you definitely touched on a lot of you know the major brands and what they're doing. I just want to point out one interesting company I I found, Icon Foods. They're out of Portland, Oregon, and they've got a clean label sugar reduction ingredient called. It's the whole line called Ketos Sweet, um, capital K, capital S, one word. And it features allulose, which is uh, a natural saccharide that's enzymatically treated in fermentation tanks so that the body does not metabolize it, which kind of makes it similar to sucralose, you know, allulose, the same kind of thing. Um, The body doesn't metabolize it. And so it's good for bread because it helps with browning and caramelization. And then it also uses uh, blends with that with monk fruit or stevia or erythritol. And so I think that's really interesting. And then just the final notable thing about Icon Foods is they're a real pioneer in being an early adopter of using blockchain to enhance its traceability and transparency bona fides. That's going to be coming to the food world because of just the global market and ingredients change hands so many times between farm and factory. And so, uh, 
you know, this is something we're going to be talking about a lot more. Regardless of how your Bitcoin has done in the last six months, uh, blockchain is certainly something that is emerging. And so Icon Foods, cool company, and, and they're kind of on it with, with both the sweeteners and using blockchain. So just pointing that out. Yeah, and, and, and I agree. Whether they're, it was a large company or a small company, really the whole supply chain conversation was very active at the show. I think everyone realizes that they have to be responsible for their ingredients and they have to have trust and transparency. Uh, it was a huge, huge thing that I noticed and, uh, you know, it makes me really happy to be part of that industry. It's kind of like everyone's being responsible and that's a good thing. So, Ginger, what did you see in terms of the sweetener space or alternative sweetener space? Well, just like you said, you know, the sugar reduction is, is a big thing right now. I think companies are seeking to ultimately replace sugar in CPGs, but they still want to offer the same uh, taste to consumers that they demand. And so I think that's where kind of the space is going. I stopped by HB Natural Ingredients. They're a new company, and they're innovating in the stevia space. And so stevia's everywhere, basically. But what they're doing is bringing a new patented proprietary in-house technology to manufacture the leaf, but they're also using that along with different enzymes to modify the compounds in the stevia, their goal being a better taste and lower cost. Also sung by the Lane booth, and they have a whole different concept of bringing it to the market, but they're focused on customized solutions for customers. And so they want their customers to tell them about their application and their budget, and Lane's going to create a customized uh, sweetener solution for them using stevia monk fruit or a combination of the both, which is their product called Lovia. And Lane was really interesting. They talk that they're really farmer-focused. They actually give seedlings and tools to farmers, and they teach them how to increase their yield, prevent insects. But then they take it a step further, and they promise to buy back from the farmers, which I thought was really neat. And this may be well-known in the industry, but me being new, I thought it was pretty fascinating. Their monk fruit that they produce with these farmers are actually hand-pollinated with a brush. And so they maintain the fruit-bearing space by planting mostly all females and then just having a few males that they take by hand and, and um, pollinate the female. And then the last booth that I thought was really interesting was Nutramax. They had a high-intensity sweetener called Sweet Tea Leaf, and they're using it in the um, food and beverage as an ingredient. It's also a sweetener, but they have a study in Japan that found that it had anti-inflammatory effects as well. Great. And, you know, kind of, of uh, dovetailing on that or piggyback, piggybacking on that, um, when you mentioned companies giving back or uh, really – looking at the good food movement, what are they doing to help the the, uh, the world and the global resources? You know, I think that that falls back onto the chocolate industry. That's a prime example, chocolate and cocoa. You know, you have companies like Cargill and Barry Calibo and Blommers that were there and really telling the story of how they are helping these farmers and how they are building up communities and, uh, you know, eradicating child labor, which is a, a huge issue uh, for the confectionery industry. I also noticed a lot of animal welfare or uh, sustainability issues toward that. I found it interesting. I was talking with the people over at AAK, and they've really kind of focused on the plant-based and non-dairy dairy and uh, producing a lot of co coconut oil. And uh, they, the one thing they were saying was that uh, their coconuts are harvested without the help of primates, which I guess is a... Uh, an issue of how these animals are treated and all that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So moving along, let's talk about uh, dairy-free dairy. Uh, that is, again, it kind of goes back to plant proteins. It goes back to clean label. It goes back to um, people kind of 
going away from the hardcore dairy. Again, I was talking with uh, AAK. I had a, a great free from frozen dessert, and it was made with their Nutresca coconut oil, which obviously coconut is a very trendy topic, one that we will be discussing in the future on Insider. Um, it was really, really super tasty. Uh, did not have a coconutty taste. Um, it also achieved a really good uh, freeze point and mouthfeel. Edlong also had a, a vegan speculose style ice cream and a cookie stick sample that was made with coconut milk and natural vanilla and brown sugar flavors used to mask the off notes and also helped with mouthfeel. It was really, it was really, really tasty. Did you guys have anything to add to that? There's crossover between dairy alternatives and the plant proteins and the clean label. You know, they all kind of go together a little bit. Ginger, do you have anything? Um, just, I was just going to say that, you know, whiz through the showroom floor. I did see a lot of applications with the yogurts like it, like we had previously talked about, but I did want to call out Matsutani's Fabrisol ADM. And the reason I do is because they created an application. They use cashew and almond milk. With, it's a fermented beverage, but they also use their Fibrosol in it as well. But it was smooth and creamy. It tasted almost like a glazed donut. And so I just thought that was a unique application of plant-based or dairy alternatives. Yeah, and I think I also saw a lot of flans and, and caramel-based uh, beverages and things like that. So so I agree. Let's get on to a interesting topic, uh, one that we've been really following here at Insider, and it's on personalized nutrition. Uh, it certainly was the buzz at Supply Side West and Expo West, as well as IFT. And I think as more consumers realize the importance of gut health and the microbiome, we're going to be seeing a lot of innovative products hitting the store shelves. Todd, this is one of your areas of expertise. Uh, you love talking about personalized nutrition. So what did you see on the show floor that caught your fancy? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I'm, I'm one of those people who has received both uh, a, a DNA test and I also uh, did a microbiome test. <laughs> and those are all very interesting. And, and it helps you, you know, nutrition used to be well, what did my grandparents die from? And so let's hope that I don't get that. And what can I do to prevent that? And and then, you know, maybe you could think about all oh, the aches and pains that you have. But when you get these sort of th these personalized metrics that you can do, I mean, we, we could see how many steps we've taken in a day. We can see how many hours of sleep that we've that we've slept at night all through our phone, which is really fascinating. And and that we're only in our infancy of that. But I, to me, the personalized health care, that that's a huge opportunity for dietary supplements, you know, for us to fill in specific nutrient gaps, not just a multivitamin, which everyone needs to take, but specific things that, that really align with ourselves as a person. So I think that's cool. But it's also shifting the greater food world. Part of this personalization, uh, I was talking to Jeff Hilton. He's the, uh, he's the guy at Brand Hive. He's a marketing guru and, uh, and a good friend. And, and he was talking about just different trends. He was talking about snacking frequency. Remember, like snacking used to be this guilty pleasure. And now it's what it's all about. You know, three meals a day is dead and buried. Uh, the consumer is moving toward more and more smaller amounts, maybe only one major meal a day. And uh, and even fasting is an area of growth, that thing called autophagy. Um, Naomi Whittle, uh, who ran Reservage and Twin Lab, and she just came out with a book, Glow 15, and she talks about that. And that's definitely, you start seeing that as a trending concept on podcasts like this one. And, uh, and, and then even usage uh, occasions have 
shifted. You know, protein used to just be for bodybuilders and now it's for breakfast. So you're seeing this like real shakeup in how foods are being developed, how meals are being developed. Mm -hmm. And and really like meal kits, that that's come about because of this emergence of savory and more aggressive flavors. And so that, that kind of feeds right into the meal kit business. You start to have different delivery forms, uh, every, you know, the omega-3 squeezes from Cor Omega and straws from Trace Minerals Research and vitamins in liquid form from a company like Pespo. So everything's really shifting and there's this convergence between foods and beverages and supplements. Even uh, health and beauty used to just be topical, but now we're drinking collagen. So right. all very interesting. And, and, and uh, you know, consumers really are looking for these customized nutrient solutions and, and everything is speeding up in the world. So there's lots of companies that are failing faster and we're learning more. Um, and, and consumers are really communicating with each other through social media and really uh, accelerating the sort of rise and fall or rise and rise of companies. So that's interesting. The, the, the final notable part of, of how it's sort of like the personalization of or the customization of, of the business aspect is what's called the omni-channel. And, and that doesn't mean just there's different sales channels and be in all of them, but it, but it really means to have consistent messaging across all your channels. And, you know, so personalized nutrition is this, tr is this really tremendous opportunity for companies to, to really communicate with, with, uh, with people who are aligned to their personalized customization through your phones and you can communicate with their phones and, and, direct them to either online purchases or, hey, here's in the store where you can get it, or there's an event happening near you and we're going to be there. And you can really kind of have a brand really expand. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy opportunity for marketing people um, to just keep all these balls juggled in the air with a consistent message. And then for brands to deliver, you know, positive, clean, and clear label food, beverage, all kinds of consumer packaged good products uh, in different ways to serve this discerning person who's able to really figure out what they specifically need because everyone, everyone understands, you know, that nutrition is the foundation of health. And so when you talk about personalization, like, and, oh yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to die of diabetes like my grandpa did. Well, there's ways to prevent that in the first place. And nutrition is really the foundation of, of preventing uh, or, uh, a lot of these healthcare conditions that you have. So I, I, I think there's a lot more that we're going to see in the personalization aspect. And I think supplements are going to play a huge role in that as well as technology. And so that, that that's a really big opportunity just for, for the supplements market is to try to figure out how do you communicate with consumers? How do you offer products that really connects with consumers where they are. Right. And, you know, in addition to the supplements, I mean, just to, I think that we're seeing more of uh, these ingredients. And let me, let me just focus on digestive health in, in more mainstream products. We're seeing more branded ingredients like Wellmune and uh, Ganadin BC30 uh, in products, you know, on the retail shelves. Uh, there's oatmeal with pumped up protein and uh, prebiotics in it. Um, I know Ingredion, they offered uh, uh, a liquid prebiotic soluble fiber. Uh, it's called Nutriflora, and that's new this year, and it supports digestion. It also helps add sweetness 
and enhance nutritional appeal. And so I think that there's a ton of ingredients out there that really can be tailored to specific products like like you mentioned, Todd. I mean, I, I think there's just a huge opportunity for you know innovation in products. Uh, Ginger, did you have anything to add on the personalization? I visited the DSM booth actually to talk about high-intensity sweeteners, but we got into the subject of personalized nutrition, and they have different categories that they work within, but they have machines that they're developing, you know, to take the DNA samples and things like that. They were talking about getting on the individual level to see what nutrients that individual person needs. They also brought up monitoring big data. I think that's a big key with wearables. You know, um, Todd was talking about the cell phone, but there's also, you know, the smartwatch and the smart this and that that you can wear to monitor your heartbeat, your oxygen level, the steps you take and things like that. But the key, I, I think, and the key that DSM was saying is that it's a com- personalized nutrition is a combination of big data and DNA analyzation over time. It's not just a quick snapshot. You've got to analyze that data to determine the best nutrients for the, for the individual overall. Another trend that we saw, uh, and actually it's a continuing trend, uh, was in the coffee and tea arena. I mean, both coffee and tea continued to trend in product launches that we saw at Expo West. Cold brews have been hot over the past few years, but now we're seeing them kind of jump out of their proverbial cup of joe and into different categories. We're seeing uh, it pop up in snacks and cookies and candy. And I was speaking with John Crandall at Amelia Bay, and he actually said he's seen a lot of movement for coffee and tea extracts in ice cream and yogurt. So I thought that was interesting. And I know Ginger is a complete coffee junkie, so I'd, I'd love to get your take on that. Well, you know, consumers are on the go. They're busy. They don't want to sacrifice taste and functionality, but they still want their coffee and tea. And so I think there's a lot of ingredient brands out there that are making it easy for brands to go to market in this category. Cold brew and matcha tea dominated the showroom floor this year, both can stand alone as a beverage, or they can use those ingredients, as you were saying, like in bakery sauces, confections, seasoning blends. For example, S&D Coffee and Tea, they have a proprietary process called the toddy brew, and they actually cold brew coffee, and they steep it for an extended period of time to create that authentic cold brew flavor that consumers are looking for. And again, just going back to the supply chain, they're very sustainably sourced. They help enrich the farmers' lives and preserve the environment, which I thought was really nice. As far as the matcha tea, I did see a lot of matcha ice cream. I sampled a ton of matcha-flavored ice cream while I was there. So that was really interesting, just playing up what you were saying. There's a company based in South Africa called uh, Koisan Gourmet. They have a rooibos matcha micro powder. They have a light version made from a fermented rooibos. And then they also have a green rooibos matcha micro powder. It's unfermented, but it's really high in antioxidants. And so they were sampling out ice cream, which I thought was really, really good. They were using the green with the high antioxidants. And just for a quick plug, um, Natural Products Insider will be having an infographic of the 2018 top registered coffee trends coming soon. So be on the lookout for that. Great. I'd like to thank uh, Todd and Ginger for all their hard work at uh, IFT and awesome work on Insider and Food Insider Journal. Look for some more IFT coverage in image galleries, uh, this podcast, and some some other trending articles that we'll be uh, posting soon. So uh, again, thanks for listening, and we'll hope to see you at Supply Side West in November. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. 
hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the supplement industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud accounts. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side West, November 6th through 10 in Las Vegas.